You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. Head on over to FredHeBakes.com and use the coupon code NOLOVELOST for 20% off of your order. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network, where you can get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise, like No Love Lost t-shirts and Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. And on that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island I would like to see the polar bears There was a crash And there are others And there are numbers And it all means something supposedly But even though there are times we hang our heads in sadness We know there's no love lost We had to go back. I've got some news for you, Will. We are back, baby! Woo! We're back! We're back! This is No Love Lost, and we're back recording in person! Oh my god! <laughs> it's been... It's been a million years since the last time I've seen you face-to-face. We have not been in the same room. Now, you've probably heard some recent episodes as people are getting vaccinated you've probably heard some recent episodes but we've had a bunch in the can we record a lot ahead of time so this is the first time (laughs) in like 18 months that we've been recording in person and in the same room it's very exciting it is and it's funny we were we were talking about it because I think the last time, the last episode we did record in person together was a sun episode. So it it feels very fitting that we're coming back on a sun episode. But that being said, uh, we are both vaccinated and we waited a month basically after we were both fully vaccinated before coming back into the same room. So if you haven't done so already, get vaccinated, please, for the love of God. Get vaccinated. I highly recommend uh, you get to see friends and family and hug people. Cheers to that. Um, well, we are here to talk about season four, episode seven. Uh, Ji Yun, is that how you say it? Uh, Ji Yun, I think. Uh, it, it's it's the name of Sun and Jin's baby. Aww, Aww. of their daughter. Aww. Um, and yes, it's a Sun episode, and yes, we haven't really been together since the last Sun episode. Maybe if there had been a Sun episode sooner, the pandemic would have ended sooner. <laughs> well, there was a Sun episode where, where she and Juliet went on their little side quest. Uh, that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean... Like the, it, the glass ballerina sticks out in my head a lot because it was I think the last time we recorded in person together. Oh man! Um, this episode is written by the team of Kitsis and Horwitz, who are known oh. mostly for their Hermie Charlie team ups, right? Yeah, and maybe it's because there's no more Charlie. 
but it's a little surprising to see them dealing with a little bit more of a serious episode. Not that they're not capable of that, but, you know. No, they, they've done their share of, like... I mean, it's funny that we associate them with the lighter humor stuff, but they've written some dark things. Well, even in those Charlie and Hurley episodes, there are dark things going on. I guess the whole thing is... Those are like the lighter characters, so we imagine them as, you know. <laughs> well, usually because they're the lighter characters, even if there's some dark stuff, they tend to end on a lighter note, too. Yes. Um, and there tend to be uh, at least a few moments of, like, laugh-out-loud funny jokes. Um, yeah, this one's less joke-heavy. <laughs> not, a, not a whole lot of, <laughs> of lols in this one. Um, but that being said, should I go ahead and do that thing I do? Do that thing. If this happens to be your first episode of No Love Lost, first of all, welcome. Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice to it's so nice to have you here. Um, but just for your information, we could be talking about potential spoilers for things all throughout the series, like up to and including the ending of the show. Bum bum bum. So, if you have not, for whatever reason, finished watching Lost, if you've only watched this one episode, or up to this one episode, this is your official spoiler warning. You have been warned. Uh, and I should also say, uh, we were talking about the writing so much, it's directed by Stephen Semmel. Uh, do, have, mm, is he a notable Lost director? Uh, I'm not recognizing the name. Yeah, and usually I go back and see what's the last thing he directed, and I didn't do it this time, because <laughs> I was too thrilled that you were coming to the podcast studio, <laughs> a.k.a. my apartment. We, we were both just so beside ourselves and so anxious to get started that we did no research <laughs> going into this one. But we did pour ourselves uh, some nice Japanese whiskey, so... Cheers! <laughs> that was us drinking whiskey on mic. <laughs> so that's good podcast content right there. Let's we're gonna say after after this podcast is done, I say we start a whiskey podcast. <gasps> we Can we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ending of Lost does drive me to drink, so that checks out. It's gonna be an expensive podcast though, because we're gonna have to buy lots of <laughs> bottles of whiskey. <laughs> So you hear that, guys? We need you to buy all of the No Love Lost t-shirts, as many as you possibly can, so we can start our next podcast. So let's begin. Uh, and we always would start with the off-island stuff, so mm -hmm. we might as well start with that now. And so I have so many questions about how we're going to go about this. <laughs> we're going to do the off-island stuff in order. Very interesting way of putting it. <laughs> You've got it. <laughs> so, Sun, we see Sun is in Korea again. And then something's going on. And then we realize, oh, it's a flash forward because the camera pans down. And she is pregnant and something is going wrong. And she calls the hospital. And it's like, oh. And now we've also pieced together that Sun is one of the Oceanic Six. Exactly. So we know for a fact that she makes it off the island, which is good because as this episode continues to remind us, things don't go well for pregnant women on the island. Yes, we're reminded in great detail in this mm -hmm. episode. So Sun 
is, you know, she's, uh, you know, they even call her Oceanic Six when she goes to the hospital. Like, oh, it's an Oceanic Six. <laughs> They, 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 you know. It's going to start, like, that's going to start sounding like it's code for something eventually. Now, I remember at the time when the episode came out, there was this whole thing of who are the Oceanic Six. Yeah, and if you yeah. And you were trying to figure it out. And the big thing was, so you had, you already knew Hurley and Jack. And, and Kate, Kate. And, and Saeed. And now you knew Sun. And there was a debate whether... Baby Aaron counted as one of the six. Uh, and people didn't know. Does and he? we went back and forth. I I'm gonna assume no, right? He does. He does. Oh, okay. He's a human being, for Christ's <laughs> sake, Megan. <laughs> he counts. He doesn't have any spoken lines. <laughs> He's a glorified extra, Will. No. So, he doesn't earn a day rate. <laughs> so you're watching this episode, and you go, so are we up to the six? But then we get another flash, and it's Jin. And Jin is running around like a madman. He's running. He needs to get a panda. The, a, a newborn baby needs a panda. Big stuffed panda. He goes to the toy store, and the guy helps him find. It's the last panda, and they find it in the thing. And Jinda. It's very, very cute. Um, did you ever see the Hugh Grant movie Nine Months? I did. I saw that in the theater. I here's the thing. I've never seen the whole thing, but for whatever reason, um, it when it was you know when it hit television, I would always catch the final act and so no joke there were like multiple days i don't know if it was like running on hbo or something like that but i have a distinct me i have distinct memories of like sitting down turning on the tv and the ending of nine months would be on and i find the final act of nine months not knowing whatever happens in the, <laughs> in the previous two acts but i think the ending of nine months is and maybe this is just it's been a long time since I've sat down and watched it, but I remember watching it with my mom and thinking it was absolutely hysterical. And it's one of the funniest, like, we gotta get to the hospital sort of sequences. Yeah. That and Father of the Bride Part 2. I have a lot of fond memories of watching both those movies. Oh, getting to the hospital sequence is fun. Absolutely. When there's a baby coming, and that's exactly what I'm getting uh, th those type of vibes, that's what I'm getting from Jin. Like, I gotta get this toy and make it to the hospital on time. Which is exactly what they want us to think. Because you're watching this, and you're like, well, Jin has gotta get to his baby. And I guess that means Jin got off the island. But also, you, you know, gotta know something's up. You know, now that I've said it, and like, the sort of sitcom-y sort of premise of, he's gotta make it to the hospital... All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, you know what? This does seem like a Kitsis and Horowitz production. This does seem like that type, well, type of Well, there's a lot of wackiness because then, uh, now I'm not going in order, but let's just talk <laughs> about it. Then what happens with Jin is he gets, he's on his cell phone, he gets a cab, he puts the pan in the cab, then his cell phone gets knocked out, he goes to grab it, it gets run over by a motorcycle, and then someone takes his cab couple of things about this <laughs> what <laughs> asshole 
is jumping in a cab with a giant panda and not being like, what's this? And just like, drive or go. <laughs> now, look, I I live in Los Angeles. Uh, and prior to living in Los Angeles, I lived in a small town where, like, I it was small enough to you could ride your bike everywhere. So, like, public transportation wasn't, like, a big thing. And as we all know from the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit, we know that public transportation is not a big thing here in Los Angeles either. <laughs> Curse you, Christopher Lloyd. Um, but no, the, uh, so like, I don't know. And even now it's like you call an Uber or a Lyft. Uh, I don't know. But you you lived on the East Coast, so like public transportation is clearly like, a ta- and taxis are if like I, clearly a bigger thing. If right? I got in a cab, and there was a giant panda in it. I'd probably say to the driver, hey, driver, I think someone forgot the giant panda in here. And the driver would be like, oh, this isn't yours? What happened to the other guy? And we'd sort it out. Yeah. I'm just saying, this guy who gets in that cab and goes off. And you're right. This is very a uh, 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 Kitsis and, and Horowitz thing as the image of a cab pulling away and there's a panda and the, uh, and the, and the passenger. In the back, you know what? Crazy theory time. Was it Jacob that stole Jin's cab? We know doing shenanigans with cars is 100% in Jacob's playbook. And dare I say, it's the only move he has in his playbook. He's ruining people's lives via vehicles. Jacob would have had a lot more power on the island if there were cars. (laughs) If there were more cars than just a Dharma van. Yeah, yeah. Um... This is one weakness. <laughs> so, you know, let's play out the whole... Let's play out... The whole the, scenario. The, yeah. What happens next with Jin then. Not the whole thing, but just, just yeah, what yeah. happens next. So he goes back in to the store. And this is another... You're right. This is another wacky thing. Because he goes, he goes, I need another panda. And they're like... <laughs> that was the last one. That was the last one. And then there is a panda behind this guy. <laughs> But what's funny is that panda wasn't there before, was it? I don't think so. <laughs> so in the in between this happening, someone called that seems like some Jacob shenanigans. Jacob called <laughs> the store and be like, put him put your last giant panda on home. <laughs> and this is the first moment we should actually realize something's up with this gin thing. Because he gets real mad. And he's throwing big bucks down on the counter. Now, we don't know the whole scenario of why a panda in particular is important. And we don't know, like, and maybe, like, I could see a good person being like, hey, listen, I really want this. Let me give. But he's got some edge to him when he does this. And it's a little reminiscent of old school gin, mm-hmm. not the gin who's come to peace with things. Yeah. Not I mean, the gin who understands karma from a conversation with Bernard in a boat. Yeah. Uh, we're, I think it's it's meant to be, like, our first indication that something is, isn't right. But even if you're not on the lookout for that sort of thing, the way they have it set up, you can completely understand why he would be upset because that was yeah. just some shenanigans. I think, for me, the bigger tell, rather than his interaction with the cashier, is him going, I will kill you. Like, I'll hunt you down. When he <laughs> Yell- yells. When he loses the cab and he's, like, yelling, I will kill you, I will hunt you down and make you pay for this. And on the one hand, it's kind of funny to see Jin yelling that. On the other hand, 
the time period in which this takes place, him yelling that is a very real threat. Well, that's the thing. If it was another character, like if Charlie, if that this had happened to Charlie and Charlie started yelling that, it would be instantly more funnier because Charlie doesn't have a violent past. Well, he, I mean, like well, bar not, fights. But not in the same way that, like, Jin yeah, has a yeah. violent past. Yeah, <laughs> very, very different context. There's a big difference between, like, Hurley saying I'll kill you and Sawyer saying I'll kill you. Yeah. You know, it's like a thing <laughs> like that. That is an excellent comparison. <laughs> so, Sun is at the hospital. Oh, All yeah. All this is happening on Sun's at the hospital. And she's very... She's very, you know, she's in distress. The baby's in distress. And this is stressful because, like... As audience members, we've been anxious about Sun giving birth ever since she was told, hey, you're pregnant while on the island. Like, that's been a legit plot point that I'm still not crazy about. I will never be happy with the pregnancy plot line, but, you know, it is what it is, whatever. Point being, like... Looking at it, we, we've been anxious about whether or not Sun is actually going to be able to have this baby and whether or not she's going to live through it. And, like, as an audience member, it would be, like, so, so mean of the show to get her off the island and to still have something go wrong, you know? That would be so mean. Um, and now it looks like can something go wrong? And she's calling out for Jin. She's like, just call Jin. Just get Jin here. So then you're like, oh. He's doing his best. He's doing his best. He's trying to get you that panda. <laughs> and they are, because, I mean, your baby could be dying, but you need that panda. <laughs> Which is, I guess, another clue is to, like, something is up. Yeah. Because Jin's story. But then we also know, knowingly watching Lost, you know they might be playing with time structure. So you might think, like... Everything worked out fine, and now Jin needs this panda. But I, I, you don't, you don't really know. And look, she's calling for Jin. Jin must be there. Oceanic Six. I guess Aaron doesn't count as a human. He's the sixth person. <laughs> the Oceanic Six adults. It should be Oceanic Six and a half. <laughs> five and a half. Five. Well, it should be five and a half. But yes. So I guess that didn't roll right off the tongue. Uh, so what ends up happening is, you know, she's continues to be in distress. And the doctor's like, we got to do a C-section. But then the baby is coming too soon. Like, she's crowning. And like, well, we got to. It so must not have, that. must not have been that serious. <laughs> because it's fairness, happening. Because it's happening now. And she is still wants to wait. She wants to wait for Jin to get there. And she's giving birth to the baby. And where's Jin? I mean, he's missing it, Will. He's missing it. He's running around and he's missing it. She's trying to keep that baby in. You can't hold a baby in. No. That baby, that baby will go. not wait. <laughs> what, is that, what is that from? Oh, the thing. Um, sorry. I was, try, I was trying to, to pull an orphan black. Oh, like, yes, oh, yes. Okay, my you're right. Babies. <laughs> yes. Okay. That was Helena. Yes. That was so bad. That was no, such no, a bad no. impression. That was a good Helena. I just couldn't figure out where it was. Like, it's been a long time since we, we were on a podcast. Where were you talking about babies? The babies. <laughs> if you liked Orphan Black, go find all our old Orphan Black recaps that are probably spread Scattered across, across uh, probably about 
three or four different places. <laughs> well, and a good chunk of the middle of it is just gone. <laughs> gone forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, anyway. Luckily, Jin has reached a hospital. And he's running in and he says something to the, the woman of her and she points and he's running and he gets to a place and there's a guy at that door and he's like... He's like, hey, uh, I'm here. I have a gift for the ambassador's grandchild, the mm-hmm. Chinese ambassador from Mr. Uh, Pike. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, shit. He's working for Sun's father. He's back doing his enforcer thing. And I guess, and, th- and this panda was for the Chinese ambassador's uh, grandchild, Chinese ambassador comes out, and you know he takes. He says, "Oh, tell." Um, by the way, thing. boy or girl? And the guy, the the, oh. <laughs> the guy's like boy, and he whips out a blue ribbon, which I gotta say is a pretty boss move. Well, didn't he steal it from something? I thought he pulled it out of a pocket. I like, thought he stole it from a flower display. He might have stolen it. Yeah, <laughs> I might have missed that. Bit. Either way, quick thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Now, at this point, we all know this is a flashback, right? Yeah, yeah. Because in my head, there's no scenario in which they would come back in which he would continue working for Sun's dad. Yeah, something would have gone wrong. But just in case you're not sure, when he's leaving, the woman from the front desk is like... Oh, "Oh, so soon? So soon. He goes... He goes, not my kid. And she's like, oh, well, maybe someday. He goes, don't rush me. I've only been married for two, two months. months. Yeah, for two months. <laughs> so. Bum, bum, bum. So. And there is like a musical sting to go with that of like, oh, we're in the past. <laughs> but then also, it's like, well, could Jin still be around? She was calling for Jin. She was calling for him. Now we get back to the the future. We have to go back to the future. <laughs> and Sun is there. And, you know, she's, like, in her apartment. Well, and she had a baby girl. She had a baby girl. Baby came out just fine. Even <laughs> And there's a knock on the door. And she opens it. And it's Hurley. Hurley! Yes! And he's like, hey. She's like, oh, you came all this way? And he's like, yeah. He's like, anybody yeah, else come? free airline miles, and he's rich as yeah. hell. <laughs> I forgot the free airline miles. And you know what? Shame on, you know, Jack for not coming. Kate is probably... <laughs> she might be in jail. She's... she Or, yeah. Yeah, at this <laughs> point... She's definitely like there's a probation thing. She probably can't leave the. Yeah, I was thinking in my head when because like Hurley is like, is anybody else coming? And when the answer is no, in my head I'm like, we might be in the middle of Kate's trial actually. Well, <laughs> and Jack was needed as a witness. Remember? I don't think we are because oh. by the time Kate's trial goes along, Aaron's grown a bit. That's she spent true. time with Jack. And Sun is this is happening within the first what like probably seven six, seven, six, months, seven yeah. months of them leaving the island. That's a fair point. So I'm just saying, no excuse for Jack not being probably no excuse for Saeed not being there. I mean, Saeed's he's, probably doing his assassin. Do we think he started assassinating at this no, point? <laughs> he is living a nice life with Nadia right now. Ah. And they should come, pay their respects. So basically, with the exception of Kate, 
with the exception of Kate. Uh, Saeed's a bad friend. Jack's a bad friend. And that's it. That's everybody, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. How does Locke get off the island? Because I know. Do you want me to tell you? You know what? No. If he's not one of the he's not one of the Oceanic Six. I'll tell you, and you will be so angry. <laughs> it's time travel related, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just gonna say it involves a donkey wheel. Anyway. Damn it. Yeah. yeah look. 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 Look, look, I, the only reason I wanted to know is because I wanted to know whether or not he was being a bad friend right now. (laughs) And the answer is he wasn't one of the Oceanic Six, so he probably didn't get an invite. And also he's John Locke, so he probably didn't get an invite. Now, when Hurley, Hurley sees the baby, says, looks like Jin, and says, should we go see him? Now, even at the time, I think I assumed, like, oh, Jin is not there. He's not, like... But I guess the show wants us to still think, like, maybe Jin did get off the island. I, in my head, what the, the show... The misdirect that the show was trying to do was to make us think that Jin was dead. Because... We know for a fact that there are still people on the island, and that's why we have to go back, right? That's we, the, or at least that's the assumption we have to make, right? Yes, that there are still people on the island. But those people don't necessarily have a memorial. Like, you wouldn't necessarily have a memorial set up for a missing person. And so... No, you wouldn't necessarily put... Like, so. okay, so here's the thing. Yeah. Because uh, we're, we're skirting around the issue. They go to Jin's grave, and she says, has a nice, like, some kind words at yeah. his grave. And you know? I miss you. I miss you. Um, Kind of a beautiful ending to the episode. Now, yeah, we know Jin survives. However, she probably legitimately thinks he's dead at that point given the way she leaves the island Uh, spoilers she gave us megan gave a spoiler alert (laughs) i'm giving one now because in the episode the season four finale the freighter explodes and sun sees Jin on the freighter when it explodes yeah so she lived so it's it's even like, it's a huge misdirect for everybody because even at the end of season four, the audience probably assumes Jin is dead. Yeah, and I think that that's what we're supposed to take away from this ending is that we're supposed to think he's dead and doesn't make it off the island. <clears throat> I, like, again, I think the assumption is that there, you know, we're supposed to assume that there are still people on the island, but Jin himself is gone because... This isn't something you would do for somebody who was still alive on the island. Like, if if she knew for a fact he was still alive on the island, I don't think... I don't think she would be so earnest if at she his would, grave. If yeah. she knew he was still alive on the island, she would be pulling uh, Penelope Widmore. Exactly. And trying to get back to the island. <laughs> She'd be doing it. the stuff we see her doing at the beginning of season five? Is that what, yeah. what happens? Okay. Yeah. I was like, is that later this season or is that next season? And I feel like it's next season. So, 
we would yeah we would be getting more of that she would be like jack we gotta go back yeah she would be spearheading the initiative of the we have to go back and her father <laughs> has money just like widmore's got money she'd be like charting boats and, and, and shit like, i don't i i know for a fact that i like from what i remember i know i don't like season five but you know what i do like girl boss son yes <laughs> i like that um so let's go to the island. Sun is very concerned because Saeed's been gone three days. Yeah, that I'd, was supposed to be a quick trip and it wasn't. <laughs> I'd be concerned too. Um, and her and Jin are having a nice little moment. Uh, and they're talking about baby names. Aww. And Sun doesn't want to give... Again, there's some dread around the baby. She doesn't want to give a baby name because she thinks it's bad luck to pick a baby name. Yeah, because, you know, that whole thing that Juliet keeps emphasizing of like, hey, ooh, we got to figure this out. <laughs> um, And, you know, that's also a thing in reality. Like, look, I've sadly known some people who've had some miscarriages. So they were... They were uh, uh, even when they finally ended up having a baby, they, for a while they were no. reluctant to, to say anything or tell anybody. And Even, even be- in the best of circumstances, things can happen. Yeah. So... So you can... I, like, I know for a fact... Again, in the best of circumstances, things can happen. Let alone if you're on a deserted island and your doctor has no tools, you know? <laughs> but Sun... Um, Sun's like, I don't want to give the baby. And Sun thinks it's a boy. Jin thinks it's going to be a girl. And Jin, they make a deal that once they're off the island, the first thing they'll start doing is come over the baby. Although man. Jin does throw out a name for a girl. Uh, Ji Yun. Yep, yep. Which ends up being the girl's name. Yeah. The uh, I do think, can I just say, I think it's sweet that he wanted a girl <laughs> or that he was like leaning towards girl i think that's really cute well he knows there's a lot of toxic masculinity in his culture that he's trying to escape right now <laughs> i mean he, i mean i say that like i say that half sarcastically but it's also kind of true well um <laughs> i honestly i think he'd be happy either way yes. but there are just so many characters on this show um who are such who have issues with their father or who are bad fathers that I I think is really cute that he's really anxious about like, oh, I can't wait to be a dad. <laughs> like, it's so cute. Yeah, it's a shame he'll never get to meet his kid. Nope. Anyway. <laughs> Real dumb. It's a shame and also dumb and also... Well, is it dumb or is it sad? Well, yeah, there's, there's a difference between bad writing and like a tragedy. And I think... To to your credit, Will, I find it frustrating that he never gets to, to... You know what? It's not even that I find it frustrating that he never gets to meet his kid. I don't like the way they go about ending Sun and Jin's story. Uh, I'm with you. To, there are things I like about it and things I don't like about it, but let's... We'll wait. save that Let's for another day. Let's wait a couple day. years to talk about that. <laughs> we'll save that for another day. I don't like the way it's resolved, but you bring up a good point. Just because something is sad or just because something is a tragedy doesn't mean it's bad writing. And yeah. I think a lot of, especially younger fans, they're like, oh, this thing is sad or oh, this thing had a tragic ending and then they automatically assume, well, because it was sad, I didn't like it and therefore it's bad. And it's like, that's not 
necessarily how art works, you know, and, or and, life. And also with TV, even more so because, you know, you can have a movie and you can quibble about some things in the movie. But with TV, because you live with these people for so long and because TV, like a movie's two hours, a TV show is uh, like could be a hundred hours. Yeah, like and there's going to be just for the nature to keep a story going, you're going to have to have these dramatic, sad, horrible things happen. It's just the nature of storytelling. Because guess what? I want happiness in real life, but I don't want to watch a show where people are just like, maybe a sitcom, but I don't want to watch a show where like people are just happy 24-7. You, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. sometimes a sitcom could get away with, like, I mean, you watch a show like Parks and Rec, and but there's still conflict, but they're genuinely like, generally happy people you know things will work well, out i hate to say it tragedy is a part of life like there's no such thing as a life that's devoid of tragedy look <laughs> i just i look out into the world and i have not seen any tragedy in the last <laughs> year and a half or so oh good everything's God. been fine now like don't get me wrong if like the escapist fiction that you're 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 looking to for th catharsis and to escape the the world around you if you feel betrayed by like it suddenly getting sad when you're like no i needed this <laughs> i get it i get it but also like again something can be sad and tragic and moving without it being bad and and i feel like the older you get the more you understand that as opposed to like Maybe if you're a younger fan and you're like, no, I wanted this to end happily. And there's merit in both approaches. That's that's all I'm saying. Like, I yes. just, I got to see the ending of uh, Resident Evil 8 this past weekend. And it was a very bittersweet ending. And I was like, it's perfect. <laughs> like, it's sad. It made me cry. But do I think it's bad because it made me feel feelings? No. So, Kate and Jack are back. Yeah. Um, How they doing? Not great. <laughs> no one's ever doing great. Kate's so like, what happened? Soon's like, what happened? She's like, well, the redhead punched me. Well, the redhead punched me, and, like, there was this whole thing at, like, a gas thing. It could have been the focus of an entire episode, but, like, don't worry. It's fine. It got resolved in five minutes. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It could have been a big thing. It could have been important, but it wasn't. Don't worry about it. And Don't worry about it. And also, well, are you worried about it? Because you shouldn't be. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. <laughs> and I'm also not worried about the fact that these people clearly aren't here to help us. <laughs> and I'm also not worried about the fact that Juliet continues to have secrets from us. Oh. So Kate tells Sun all of that. And Sun is like, well, fuck this. <laughs> Which, you know what? I respect. <laughs> and Sun goes to Faraday. Mm -hmm. And she's like, hey, I'm Sun. I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, well, look, I'm like super awkward in the best of circumstances. And I'm going to be honest. I don't know how to talk to you right now. <laughs> and Sun is basically like, give it to me straight. Are you here to pick us up to save us? And Faraday says, and Faraday actually has a great answer, where he says, it's not my call. Yeah. I and, think that's a really good answer. And because, because it's letting her know, like, maybe not. But also, like, Faraday's a good person. 
And Faraday, I think, does want to, like, let's just take everybody who wants to go. It's been a little bit since we covered the first episode of this season. Didn't he say to Jack, I'm here to rescue you? Yeah. That was a lie. That was a lie. That was a lie, Daniel. That was a lie. That wasn't cool. But Sun, looking at him in the eye and catching him completely off guard, because, again, he's a pretty socially awkward dude. Like, I appreciate that when she asked him straight, he was like, no, basically. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I wasn't being truthful. Sorry. I'm sorry. So, she goes to... Jin, who there's this nice little also moment with him and Jack where he's getting better at English. Honestly, I think that's one of my favorite things about this episode is just the little character interactions. Um, Because so much of this show in its early seasons was these little moments of humanity. This episode has a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's definitely a highlight of this episode. And I think um, Daniel Day Kim is doing an excellent job of going between the English and the Korean. And I think, like, he he does a good job of someone who's... Like, he's kind of understanding, but struggling. Like, there are certain things said to him in this episode about, like, the affair thing, where it's like, we're watching it, and we don't know whether he understands or not. And he probably only understands just enough. Same thing later with Bernard, like, but he gets it but he probably doesn't get it as much well, as, like... Well, he does say that he understands better than he than he speaks it. Yeah. Um, which which che- definitely checks out. Um, I, you know, my, my dad and his brothers grew up, um, you know, their their parents were, were Mexican, and uh, they their parents wanted it to be easier on them, so they didn't necessarily raise them to have Spanish as their primary language. They thought it would be easier if their all their boys spoke English first. And so learning Spanish wasn't a priority for them. Um, you know, being the kids of immigrants, uh, they thought it would be just easier. Um, but that being said, you know, both their parents, like, spoke Spanish to each other all the time. And so, like, my dad and his brothers understand a good chunk of Spanish, but they cannot speak it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They're like, I get what you're saying. I just can't respond. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, so that's that's definitely a thing that happens with language on occasion, especially if you're trying to learn. So Sun comes to Jin and says, listen, you got to trust me. We're going to do something. That's you're going to think it's crazy. We're going to go to Locke's camp. And he's like, oh, <laughs> neat i guess but like it definitely throws him off i think it definitely throws him off uh and basically the impetus of this is sun doesn't trust these freighter folk she wants to protect the baby and she also doesn't trust juliet good instinct good instinct ah see now i trust juliet you know me i trust juliet <laughs> um and sun is doesn't want to tell anyone where they're going she's rummaging through Juliet's tent looking for these like prenatal vitamins or whatever mm-hmm. needed and Juliet's like hey son what are you, what are you doing she's hey, like, oh, uh, I need... what's going on in this tent that happens to be mine <laughs> and she's like oh you need uh, you need more vitamins you got, you got, you got like enough for like 20, 20 more days 20 more like days, yeah. what happened to them did you lose them or like, 
Are you preparing for a trip somewhere? And, again, here's here's the great thing about Juliet that definitely frustrated me when I was a younger viewer, which, again, when you get older, you look at things differently. But this is a great thing in the performance because... Juliet, as a very dishonest character, can definitely tell when someone's not being super forthcoming. And so she just gives Sun this very, like, without being mean, she gives her this very reproachful look without being super accusatory. So that's, it's a great bit of acting. And, yeah, Elizabeth Mitchell's really good. She's got a couple of, she's well, she's got some really great moments in this episode. Yeah. Um... And, and you're right. That's one of them, the way she plays this. And Sun basically tells her, like, I don't trust you. Which, again, I think is a really good story beat as somebody who was very frustrated with Juliet's dishonesty <laughs> in the previous season. Um, and and even, even in this season, Juliet, even when she has the best of intentions, isn't always forthcoming with the truth. Um and so, like, I think it's good to have a character call her out on that. Um, even even if it can, like, even if it leads to them butting heads. I, I think this is a good story beat. I hate the pregnancy plotline stuff, but I, I like this as a story beat. I like there being consequences for, you know, people's actions. So, um... She basically, she basically tells, she's like, hey, Claire's baby was fine. My baby will be fine. Yeah, that I think you're feeling. lying to me because the only thing I have to go on is your fear-mongering stories. Yeah. You're a liar. You're a known liar. You, yeah. you were another. Um, so we see Kate is helping tell uh, Sun trusts Kate. And Kate, rightfully so. And Kate is telling Sun and Jen the best way to get to Locks camp and Juliet storms over because Juliet knows they got to stay there because they got to try to get off this island. Yeah. Locke doesn't want to leave the island, and if you're with Locke, you're gonna die because you're gonna get you're gonna once you re- reach like your yeah. third trimester or whatever. Juliet has lost too many patients to play around with this shit and. Again, to her credit, it's not that she trusts the freighter people either. Um, although she did just have an escapade with them where they had the best of intentions. But, like, again, she's like, yeah. She, like, we clearly can see that she can spot a liar a million miles away. You know, you can't con a con man. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so she knows that she can't trust the freighter folk, but she also knows that at the moment that's their best bet off this island. So Jun, so June, uh, ugh, Jin and Sun. Ugh, clearly, I've had too much whiskey. <laughs> Jin and Sun have to stick around because. Even if you can't trust the people on the boat, they still have a boat. You can yeah. steal the boat it's still, or the helicopter. You, you, your odds are better to get it. And you, and you know what? You, you bring up a good point with Juliet. Also, she has such a history on this island. Like, so Juliet does something that, in theory, is unforgivable. Uh, in order a to breach get of them, patient confidentiality. <laughs> yeah, in order to get them not to go to Locke's thing, uh, to Locke's camp. 
she blurts out to Jin that Sun had an affair. Sun had which, an affair. not gonna lie, like look, I knew that it's so. At some point, all that stuff had to come to a head, and I figured it was in this episode, but I did not remember Juliet being the one to drop that bombshell. And so I'm watching this episode I, this morning, and she says that thing out loud, and like, no joke, I audibly gasped. And I was like, oh, oh shit! I'll be honest with you, Megan, I had forgotten that's how it came. I knew it came out at some point, because you, you can't have a plot line like that and not come out, but... I had forgotten that it was Juliet who did it, and I'm kind of shocked I did, given my love of Juliet and how how like crazy a scene it is. Yeah. Like she comes out, she tells this whole thing, and she tells it to Jin because she knows that this might prevent them from going away. They'll get into a fight, they won't leave, they'll become a bigger thing, and Sun comes and slaps her. But the thing is, Juliet has a history of watching women die. Her on the sun. patience. She yeah. is not able to save these people. And she is, we know she is a caring doctor. We have seen her off the island. We've seen her on the island broken up about this. Like, they've done a good job of establishing, like, what Juliet is doing is wrong, but it's not malicious, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's wrong to, to violate Sun's trust. Um, but at this, you know, especially when <laughs> Sun just straight up says, yeah, I don't trust you. This isn't the best thing to do to earn back that trust, but it is going to be the thing that works in the long run. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's not right, but it's not malicious, like you said. So, um... That, like I said, though, I literally gasped and said, oh, shit. <laughs> That's yeah, the kind I mean, of scene it and is. And the thing is, she is, like, brutish. Like, your wife is... She's First, she says the whole thing, your wife's in danger, she's going to die in three weeks. And when that doesn't work, like, she tries other things first. And then she's like, you know. She's like, fine. <laughs> and now Sun is desperate to, like, explain this to Jin. Jin is giving her the cold shoulder. But it's not, like, in, like, a... It's not like in the way the old Jin was like... Like, I feel like he doesn't know what to do with his emotion. He doesn't know what to do with this information. He doesn't know how to feel about it. Because he also... You know, and we'll get to this at the end of the episode. Jin also knows why someone would have cheated on that version of him. Yeah, uh, it reminds me a lot of season one when Sun yells at him that she was going to leave him. And he got like, you know, at that point they were they were fighting already. Um, and, you know, she tries to apologize and he's like, it's too late and like, you know, grumbles and runs off. Um, it's very reminiscent of that. But the the type of anger that's there is very different because season four Jin is a very different person than season one Jin. If that makes any sense. It does. Yeah. Uh, and I think we see this at the end of the island story with them. Um, so Jin's going off to fish because he's got to get away. And Bernard comes over. He's like, hey, <laughs> you're going fishing? Can I come fishing? And then he picks up on, oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. But He's just like. It's too late for me to just sort of Homer Simpson back my way into the hedge, isn't it? <laughs> but Jin's like, come along. 
And it's honestly, it's for the best. It's yeah. good that he has a fishing buddy here because they go out on a little catamaran thing. Is that what that's called? I have no idea. I assumed canoe. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> they, they go out on it. And if anybody knows, let us know. And <laughs> They go out on a boat, a tiny boat. <laughs> and they're fishing. I like that I'm making the fishing motion as if the people at home can would, see. Can see. <laughs> um, That's the great thing about hand gestures on a podcast. Yeah. And Bernard brings up this whole thing where he's like, hey, we're the only two married guys on the island. Isn't that crazy? And it actually is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, out of everybody who, uh, out of everybody on Flight 815 who is now, like, a regular cast member, uh, yeah, it is interesting that they're the only two. Although, granted, both Jack and Kate did get married at some point to other people, but they're not currently. I don't know, did Kate's marriage ever get annulled? I think, like, when your wife is a fugitive from justice (laughs) and she's, like... She's like, what did she do? She drugged him or what did she do to him? Uh, yeah, she drugged him and then was like, bye. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I don't think you need both parties to get that. I think you can get that, like, I think you can and dissolve that marriage independently <laughs> at that point. I would hope so. Um, yeah, maybe not. But <laughs> I'm no legal expert. Um. So anyway, uh. Bernard starts talking, he says this whole thing about how Rose has cancer. Mm-hmm. And, okay, here's the thing. Like, you, 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 what you said, Jin says he understands more than he... But, again, I think Daniel Day Kim plays this so well because he plays it like you don't really... Like, he, he plays it in a way that you sense that he's only picking up, like, enough to be necessary. And yet... He he's only he's only picking up bits and pieces and yet he understands. Yes. He he's yes. playing this and this had to be like a really underrated thing as an actor that I I don't I don't know if he got enough credit for in the in the in the transitions from speaking Korean to English. I feel like we need to start a drinking game in which we talk about a cast member who did not get enough credit for the for the level of performance that they gave. Because I swear, we've talked about it with Josh Holloway. We've talked about it with Naveen Andrews. We've talked about it with Evangeline Lilly. Yeah. We've talked about it with so many this, cast members. This like, cast, in retrospect, is so stacked. And... Look, I mean, the two people who won Emmys for this show deserve their Emmys 100%. They, they absolutely do. But also, it's it real like we genuinely mean it every single time yeah. we talk about a performer on this show, particularly women and people of color who did not get their due for the amazing work that they did, you know? Um so he's uh, you know, uh, uh he's told the story about Rose has cancer. And the island has somehow healed her, she believes. But she didn't want to go. He thought she'd want to go with Locke because he wants to stay in the island. She wanted to stay with Jack. She's like, because, you know, you have to do the right thing. And they don't want to go with Locke because Locke's a murderer. He calls Locke a murderer. And I mean, he is. Yeah, he definitely murdered Naomi when he didn't have to. And he says it's, it's karma. It's Ooh, karma. What goes around comes around. 
What a very interesting concept for the island. So, meanwhile, back on the island, back on land, I should say. <laughs> um, You're so used to saying back yeah. on the island when we come back from the flash. Exactly. <laughs> Juliet is apologizing. Son. And this is another great. Uh, yeah, uh, this is fantastic. Scene. And Sun's like, it wasn't your place. And Juliet decides, I'm going to tell you why it's my place. And she does one of those scenes, and I love scenes like this and things where somebody just calmly like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to feel nauseous, and you're going to feel this, and you're going to feel feverish, and blah, blah, blah. And then it's, you're like gonna... a, it's like a house moment, right? And then, yes. <laughs> and then you're going to die, and your baby's going to die. And so it is my business because you're my patient kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's straight up, Juliet pulled a house. <laughs> I've only seen like two episodes of House, but I feel like she pulled a house. And she does it great. Elizabeth Mitchell's in like three scenes in this, and she crushes all three of them. And Sun realizes on some level Juliet is right. And I think there's also on some level that Sun... Well, this is the moment where she realizes that Juliet's not lying. She, You're right. She realizes Juliet's not lying because the way she's giving this to her. Yeah, like, yeah. And Juliet I'll, is very withholding, as, as you've said time and time again. But, like, when she is being forthcoming and she... Like, this is one of those few times where Juliet is literally laying all her cards on the table. She's like, no, without holding anything back, this is what's going to happen. And also, here's the other thing. Like, there's also some level of guilt that Sun has here. That she doesn't like the way this information came out. But in a way, like, this had to come out at some point. Yeah, but like, I mean, it's hard because like, she kind of hoped that she was past all this. Because things with Jin are better now. And the the baby that she's carrying is in fact his and not another man so i think on some level she always knew this was going to come out but on another level she kind of wanted to just pretend it never happened because things are okay now you know that sort of thing where it's like why do we have to bring it up everything's fine now <laughs> so um son's in her tent She's, you know, concerned. And who comes in with dinner that he made? Jin. Aww. And Jin gets it. Jin understands. He has changed. He's a different person. And the man he was, that is the man who caused her to cheat on him. And, you know, it's a great moment of of uh, healing. And it, it's getting back. Like, they have come so far as a couple but this is kind of the final hurdle. This secret that Sun had, this other thing that went on in their relationship. And it's a moment of like, Sun asks for forgiveness and Jin gives it to her. But also Jin is kind of asking for forgiveness. Like, because he knows he was a piece of crap back then. Yeah, and this is, I again, I this is why I'm reminded so much of the scene where they sort of broke up for a little bit in season one. Um, because she straight up yelled at him that I was planning on leaving you. And 
is throughout the you know the time in between then and now he's had to process well why why was she going to leave me i know why it's because i was a terrible husband yeah. you know that sort of it, thing it was a great scene it was a beautiful scene and then the kicker to it is that she decides that we're not going to go to locks like little camp yeah because he's like where you go i go yeah and She's like, we got to get off the island. Like, I believe Juliet. Now, Juliet convinced her. And she goes, you know, and he just asked one question. Like, is the baby mine? But what's great about it when he asked that, that you know, and again, this is Daniel Day Kim stuff at his best. The way he's asking, Tony's asking is, I have no doubt in my mind that if she says it's not, that he's still going to raise that kid. Absolutely. Like, he's still going to love that kid. And we know for a fact also and son knows this too is that Jin is his father's son because his father never knew for sure whether or not um Jin was his uh but it did not matter he loved that kid and he did everything he could to raise him right to the best of his ability And you know that Jin being his father's son, he would do the same. And son knows this as well. Uh, That being said, you know, Jin also doesn't know that bit from his dad. But then neither here nor there. But it all works out because guess what? It is Jin's kid. And son gets to tell him this and it's a beautiful, touching moment. And yeah, again, the relief that's there. It is apparent, but at the same time, again, you you know for a fact that even if the answer had been no, like, Jin would still love that kid to the moon and back, you know? It's a great Jin Sun story, this episode. It really is. It's a really beautiful uh, 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 thing for them, but... I mean, oh. they they are a contender for Island OTP for sure, second only to Penny and Desmond. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, is if, I mean, if you guys feel differently, feel free to let us know. Are, are, like, is, we should is put it, a poll up on Twitter. Island OTP. <laughs> is it real? Is it... Is I the mean, pro- to be fair, we pro- spend way more time with Sun and Jin than we do with Penny is and Desmond. Is the difference... Like, is the reason I don't think of them as that only because... Like, they came into the show as a couple, and so I already, I've always thought of them as a pair, and the show has treated them as a pair many times, and they they get flashback episodes together. So, like, Desmond and Penny is a thing I'm more actively rooting for because Sun and Jin is too much of a given. Maybe. That might be it. Um, I mean, back... In, when we were just covering season one and the beginning of season two, I maintained that Sun and Jin were Island OTP um, before we really got to know Penny and Desmond. And I think the main thing for Penny and Desmond is that it's currently unresolved. And that, yeah, we like it makes us cry because he's so desperate to get back to her. What would, for a Twitter poll, the other two couples be? Ooh, probably Sawyer and Juliet. Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, you know, I um, love it. And then Lock in the Island. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you can 
bigger maybe Rose and Bernard Charlie would it and be Claire? Charlie and Claire like that's a tricky one because I was about to say Charlie and Claire I like Rose and Bernard was my first thought because you're you, you've also pointed out like that like there's that a lot of Charlie and Claire's interactions seem to be very one-sided Charlie and Claire like they never consummate that relationship that's all I'm saying so yeah guys let us know. We'll put up a poll on Twitter when this episode goes if, out. Legitimately, Rose, if if we're doing, and again, like, I wonder, like, if I'm being too harsh on people who came to the island <laughs> as couples, you know what I mean? Like, feeling it's a little different because I don't get to see that. But, I mean, technically, I think, Ro- I, I technically, it would probably be Rose and Bernard. Yeah, probably. Uh, okay, so, yeah, we've got uh, Sun and Jin, Penny and Desmond, uh, Rose and Bernard and Juliet and Sawyer. Yeah. yeah. What do you think out of out of those four? Who's your vote? It's hard not to say Desmond and Penny because <laughs> the constant alone. Because the con because it's hard not to root for the couple that like like Sawyer and Juliet organically evolved. Uh, Sun and Jin and Rose and Bernard all came to the show as couples who obviously went through difficulties and had to find each other again. So there is that, that 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 kind of fits into the definition mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. Like they had, like the stars had to bring them together still. But, but Penny and Desmond, because we see them actively trying to get struggle back to and the, to get back together is such. It's like a it's like a like a struggle between space and time to get okay. back together. Again, we haven't gotten to the point in the show where Sawyer and Juliet become an item yet. So. I remember not liking it the first time around, but that doesn't mean I won't like it this time around. And I'm actually fairly convinced that I will like it. Mm. Um, but l- through the process of our rewatch, you know which couple has made me cry the most? Uh. Penny and Desmond. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, okay, which couple has made me openly weep? On well, more than one occasion. Well, this is a good segue because there is a, another plot line that we got to get to. Ah. Which involves Desmond. So we're back on the freighter. Which it was, I think, the, the last episode, the other woman was frustrating because, like, we wanted to be back on that freighter. Like, what the hell's going on that freighter? It focused on... The like the the previous episode focused a lot on the wrong things. You, again, this big explosive thing was like the last five minutes of the episode, and uh, yeah, no freighter action whatsoever. So we see Lapidus run into Kimi on the deck, and they're they're Lapidus. up to something. <laughs> they're up to something. Sneaking. Later, we'll discover that. They return to the island. For what purpose? Ooh. We'll find out. I but, legit don't remember. <laughs> but um, It's fun knowing and not knowing. <laughs> but Lapidus first goes to uh, Desmond and Saeed, and he's like going to bring them lima bean dinner. Well, first he talks to the, the guard. Well, I wanted to get to yeah. that, yeah. So he's heading there, and he talks to Regina, played by Zoe Bell. We've heard her on the radio. I told a wonderful story, pre-pandemic story of where I was at a a function that she was at and me and her shared a drink even though we were complete strangers. That's not COVID safe. <laughs> um, uh, but she's a, she's, she's a, a 
it's so funny. I'm paying so much attention to this person who's just been a voice and now is only going to be in two scenes. But she is a tremendous stunt woman uh, who is also in all Quentin Tarantino's movies. If you've ever seen Death Proof, she is the woman who is on the hood of the car doing that amazing oh. stunt. She was Uma Thurman's stunt double in the Kill Bill movies, which is how she got into the Tarantino universe. And she's got roles in all his films, even if it's just like a few lines and stuff. And from meeting her in person, I could tell you she is a sweetheart. And she's a great stunt woman. And I can't well, help but think that they just brought her in to do that one stunt. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Um, but, like, I, I mean, there's something that probably not by the time this episode goes up. Because it's going to be a while before this episode goes up. But um, there's a, a lot of conversation on Twitter right now about stunt people not being properly recognized for their work. Yeah. And I'm... I think we can both say that we feel strongly about the importance of stunt being people being uh, <laughs> being recognized for their work. How it's not a category at the Oscars is beyond me. It's ridiculous. Um, so it's Zoe Bell plays Regina, and things aren't going well for her. She's reading a book upside down. <laughs> she seems to be all out of sorts. I do like Lapidus being like, hey, like, you know that's upside down, right? And she's very flustered by that and he's like i'm just i'm just trying to help <laughs> i'm just trying to help and lapidus goes in bring them in line of being dead and he's like hey the captain is not too happy with you guys for busting out and they're like we didn't bust out like the door was open he's like who left the door open like we assumed it was you who is on the ship and he's like why the hell would i do that come on lapidus it's because you're cool don't don't pretend like you're not <laughs> and they know that there's somebody on a boat. Yeah. And, like, I did appreciate the uh, the recap reminding us that, hey, somebody opened that door. Because <laughs> I would have forgotten. <laughs> and then later, sometime later, they get a note slipped in that says, don't trust the captain. Ooh. Also, something else weird is happening. Someone is banging on pipes. Yeah. Is that, like, Morse code? Desmond thinks it's something mechanical, but Saeed's like, no, that's a person. Yeah, Saeed, communications officer Saeed, is like, no, that's somebody trying to deliver a message. Always listen to Saeed. He's not always right, but always listen to him. But then they get word from the doctor who comes to see him. He's like, hey, the captain wants to see you. This this guy seems to be a little out of it. The like, doctor, am I right? He's a little... Out of he's a little sweaty. He's a weird looking dude. He's like a big dude, ball. I don't know. He's a little lurch like. It's it's not so much the like that he looks weird in a lab coat. To me, he just kind of looks like he's not one hundred percent there. He's you know? not, and we find out the crew really isn't because when they go out onto the deck, they see Regina, and she's got big chains. chains Who let her it. do that? And she walks to the edge of the boat, and she jumps off. And this is where I'm like, well, I guess they knew they were going to need a stunt woman if this went down. Because they, they fought, like, you see, like, Zoe Bell jumped off a ship and into the ocean. And into the water. Let me let me say this, and I, I, maybe we're running too long for something <laughs> like this. But let me say this. Like, stunt people. Yeah. I mean, they're still just people. Of course they are. So here's the thing, like... Maybe I could throw myself down a flight of stairs and I'd be fine. 
like one what's in them that's like I'm just gonna throw myself down and fly to Santa and two how are they not dying constantly because they're mortal they're, they're men and women <laughs> like you watch a movie like Mad Max Fury Road how are there not multiple casualties like, but I mean, I'm sure there were injuries on Mad Max. But there's a right? difference between like I sprained my ankle and like I'm dead. Uh, did you ever hear um, a story about Kane Hodder? He actually, um, the, Kane Hodder. For those of you who don't know, showing my horror movie knowledge, um, he's the actor that played Jason for uh, a number of the movies. I believe it was six through. Um, six through ten, and it was Freddy versus Jason that recast him at that point, and then he was recast again in the 09 reboot. Um, but he was a stuntman for, for a long time before getting cast as Jason, and the reason you cast a stuntman as Jason is because there's a lot of physicality required for that role. There was a stunt that went wrong fairly early in his career. Um, that It was a fire stunt, and it went wrong, and it messed him up for a long time. Like, again, stunt people do a lot of dangerous, underappreciated work. And, yeah, they deserve to be recognized. Um, as far as, like, what's... And, and there are plenty of stunts that don't go right. Like, let's not pretend but, that that doesn't happen. But, it does. But it goes right more often than wrong <laughs> because a lot of safety precautions are taking place and because the people who are doing those stunts are professionals how they acquire the experience <laughs> to become professionals is something i also don't understand although i will say like you know you know how you're sitting here going i don't i can't process what would drive a person to do that that's how i feel about people who do parkour i'm like how do you even practice that <laughs> You're also talking to somebody who, when it came to, like, trying to learn how to skateboard, I fell once, uh, like, flat on my back and never tried again. That was me with ice skating. <laughs> I was like, this is stupid. I'm just going to keep falling. <laughs> so. I, I can I can skate. Um, not, like, not, like skate park level skate, but I can rollerblade and I can very very basically ice skate i can go in that circle but i'm very very bad at both of those things i'm not sure if there are any professional stunt people who listen to the art podcast please talk to us we want to know how do you do what you do what makes you so amazing um so regina kills herself yeah that's not great <laughs> that's and kind of a bummer desmond and saeed are very concerned well yeah they're the only ones who actively try to captain, do anything the captain comes out and is like hey don't do anything <laughs> she's gone and they're like it happened like two seconds ago and he's like it's too late <laughs> um but the captain says like like this crew's like and we got cabin fever. Yeah, he's saying it's a cabin fever thing that seems to be happening the closer they got to the island. Which, you know, considering that they just watched a man die, you know, they, you know, Mikowski? Was that the guy who died yeah. in The Constant? Um, they just watched him die because of time travel shenanigans, and Desmond just experienced that very out-of-body experience sort of situation. And look, later in the episode, we're going to see a clearly someone a gunshot wound blew their heads out against a door of a, a wall of a cabin 
And it's like... Something's going on here. But the captain knows something's going on. And they're like, why don't you just turn the ship around? And he goes, well, we got a saboteur. We're trying, we want to. He's like, I wish I could. <laughs> yeah. And look, to the captain's credit about Regina killing herself, he's absolutely right. There's nothing they could have done. Like, There's... she was... she. She had big chains on her. She was sinking to the bottom of the ocean. They're on a giant freighter. You can't just jump off that thing and save people. And that's spoken like a man who's lost more than one crew member. Exactly. To the madness already. This is getting very Lovecraftian all of a sudden. (laughs) And then they go and then they're like, and we can't. And it's like, and they're like, well, whose boat is this? And he goes, it's Charles Woodmore's book. <gasps> he just tells him right out, flat out. He's and like, yeah, he's why, like, why would I keep that a secret? He's like, oh, Desmond, you know Charles Woodmore. <laughs> so they go into his office and he goes, what is this? And Saeed's like, it's a black box. And he goes, it's a black box. This is a great scene. This is a really great scene because it's filled with mystery. And again, it's like, it's an information dump in like a fun, direct way, well delivered by the guy. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where it it actually provides an answer without giving you the full context. It provides you an answer uh, to something, and and without being without like it's funny. It's it is an exposition dump, but it doesn't feel boring or no. overly expository because it's also so mysterious because he's because he's also like creating the question and then asking you the question because he's like like we found all these dead bodies on the plane of the whole crew but your proof that they're not dead so who set this up why was the record stage uh where did they get the dead bodies how did they do this that's why we have to find Benjamin Linus. <laughs> it's it's a great way of dropping exposition um, and asking those questions without actually requiring the viewer to go and do any homework, you know? And it's actually, what he actually says is it's one of the many reasons they want Benjamin Linus, which is like, it, it's also like we, like, the show has done a good job of mythologizing Ben, but for a while, Ben's just been this, like, weirdo who's been Locke's <laughs> prisoner. And it's a good little reminder of, like, re-mythologizing him. Well, like, the man a- who, can do, who can do all this. It's like the Kaiser Sose buildup. <laughs> like, it's kind of the same yeah. thing. Like, who can get those dead bodies? Who could well, do this? It's Benjamin Linus. Well, it, not Benjamin Linus. So that's why we're looking for him. But, like, the person who did this is Charles Widmore. Um, and... I think this is a really great way of establishing Charles Widmore as a malevolent presence because we we you know we've seen in a couple episodes earlier this season you know like one of Ben's guys like getting kidnapped by Charles Widmore's guys and like you get the impression that they have a rivalry that may or may not be kind of petty um but we we know that Widmore is very powerful and very rich, but he's never really felt like a big threat. The biggest, right. the the I mean, the most because he's he's always deemed. We only ever see him in the context of Desmond's story, where he's a threat to Desmond, but it's not on like a giant scale. Yeah, it's literally just he doesn't think Desmond's important enough 
to actively thwart. He's just like, yeah, you're not good enough for my daughter and time, just you messing things up will be enough to prove that. Um, and, and in some cases, he's even like, here's her address. Go do your thing. Go Screw it up for me. Go stalk my daughter. Yeah. No, <laughs> no action is required on my part. And we know that his resources have acted as obstacles to Desmond in his pursuit of Penny in the past. But, like, that's only been the extent of it and you could you know chop that up to just him being an overprotective father or him being kind of a douche like you don't really get the sense of you get that he's a dick but you don't really get the sense of malevolence and this is the first time like you really get the scale of how terrifying somebody with this much power and money uh you know, can wield because the the captain, he's like, there were a, a lot of resources that were used to stage this thing. And also, where the hell did he get 324 dead bodies? Yeah. He could have got them from a morgue, or maybe he just made them new corpses. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> so, Saeed and Desmond are getting to their own quarters, and it's a real shithole yeah it it still has blood on the walls from the last occupant and they're like roaches oh yeah they were not that was not great and he's like ah this should have been cleaned up and the doctor's like hey johnson get over here and the guy (laughs) comes over kevin johnson and who is it but michael michael who and now we know this must be their friend on the boat this is probably Ben's spy. This ben has got to be his man on the, the boat. guy who kept the door open. The guy who passed them the note. And in the next episode, meet Kevin Johnson. We're gonna find out how how all that came to be. And also, when you think about it, Michael wasn't off the island very long before he got pulled back in. Because you know why? He had to go back. I was gonna say, what has it been? A month, maybe. Um. So Maybe that, less than that? Like, what? How long has it been since Jack and Kate and Sawyer were captured by Ben? Oh, man. So that's it for the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, except we got some housekeeping to do here in which, uh, Megan, who's your man in black? <sighs> like, I... I've said it before, I'll say it again, and you'll hear me say it a million more times until it stops being a plot point, which I think is at the end of this season. I don't like the pregnancy plotline stuff. Like, I just don't. It's not, I, I will admit, it's not as bad when you're going through it beat by beat, but every time I take a step back and I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I still don't like it. Um, but that being said... Like, it doesn't really detract from how good the rest of this episode is. And I really it's, don't have a ton to complain about yeah. this one. So it might be a cop-out to say the same thing I always say. But, yeah, I'm going to go with, like, I just don't like the meta-pregnancy plotline stuff. Um, I'm sorry if that's a cop-out. It's not a cop-out. <laughs> um, I think this is a pretty great episode. I think it's a really extremely well acted episode and i think it's a it's you know we get to see some people who don't always get a ton to do 
Um, I'm going to make my man in black Sun constantly calling out for Jin in the pregnancy scenes because it is such a blatant misdirect. Yeah. And it is such a, like, I don't know if I buy it. Like, I don't like, know. Like, if she thinks her husband is dead, why would she be calling out for him in this moment and, and being so and, insistent about they need to call him, you need to make sure he's here? And I get that, like, you hear stories of people, like, who are, like, dying, calling out for their dead mother or or people in distress calling out for a lawsuit. You hear, like... It's a thing that happens, but it happens so much, and it's such a misdirect. And I don't know, I don't know if I, if it was needed because we're cross cutting it with Jin rushing to the hospital. I feel like maybe that would have been enough to, yeah. like, there could have been one line where like they were calling people to come or somebody or, might be or like, to- um, or like the the. The nurses might be like, have we been able to get a hold of the husband yet? Like, uh, you know, something like that where it doesn't have to be son calling out for Jin. So many times. I think it's abs. I I agree with you 100%. That out of everything in this episode is the most contrived thing. Um, And I, I concur with you. What's your Jacob? I think there's a lot to choose from. There are a lot to choose from. Like like I said earlier in 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 this episode, I really like just the tiny little human interactions. You know, this cast has such great chemistry together, and one of the best things about Lost isn't necessarily the mystery box stuff. It's the way these different personalities play off of each other. Exactly. So you could definitely pick that. I'm going to give it to I actually do like the structure of having both a flash forward and a flashback yeah, playing fun. concurrently. I like that. And I'm going to pick that as my man in white. Although I do agree with you. There are some contrivances that come with that. Um, uh, but I, I'm willing to forgive them. I'm, look, I'm willing to forgive them too. Like I, I, I have to pick something. And, and I think that's to me. The conceit of our show is yeah. that we have to nitpick. And the thing is that that to me is the only false note for me in the episode there are so many i mean i considered for a long time picking for my uh jacob uh juliet's like yeah. scene where she basically dresses down sun and she's like here's what's gonna happen but ultimately i'm i'm i think the scene between Jin and sun when he comes back to the tent and he he uh, tells her he understands why she had the affair and he finds that the kid is his. I think it could be the maybe some of their best stuff together. Yeah, in the there series. there are so many good instances yeah. of acting in this episode. Even the the tiny bit of interaction we get between Hurley and Son in the future yeah. is fantastic and warm. But I I think that scene it's like really like I think it's some beautiful stuff and it it got me a little choked up. So I'm giving yeah. it to. I think that's an excellent pick. Well done. Megan, where can the people find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams where my co-host Katie and I talk about horror things. And I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio where me and my co-host talk about Rooster Teeth related productions. So go check those out. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at the real will link. You can buy my novel Crazy yeah. About Kurt on Amazon. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got going on currently. And let us know if you want to start a whiskey podcast. I know Megan wants to start a whiskey podcast. I would love to start a whiskey podcast. Also, I know nothing about, like, actual quality drinks. I know. Here's what's so funny. Like, I tell people I love whiskey, and then they're like, bring up some stuff and I'm like I don't understand anything you're, about it I just like you're drink. saying a lot of words it's that like, I don't quite comprehend <laughs> I will drink bad whiskey and enjoy it but then if I drink good whiskey like I feel we're drinking that I'm like <laughs> I know it's good like I know the. I dip- know it when I like, taste it <laughs> I know the difference <laughs> I will say that like anytime I do anything like wine tasting I always feel like somebody who's only seen parts of sideways just going mm, you can really taste the tannins and that's that's it i'm i'm not sure what that means <laughs> all right well <laughs> until next time see you in another life brother hey there everybody I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always. Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, Yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, And so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Hmm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.